podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode four of the newly relaunched Buzz Podcast. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined for the first time by Mr. Rory Greenfield. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks. It's nice to be back talking about TV and other things on this on this channel, or on AI anyway. So it's been a few years, I'd say. It has been a few years. You were a long-time contributor, and obviously work and life have, have just kind of gotten in the way and taken you away from us for a while. But as soon as Eddie asked me to do this, you were my first port of call because you are somebody I always go to uh, to ask about film and TV, and I trust your opinion implicitly, except Ryan when it comes to Ryan Gosling <laughs> and the Grand Budapest Hotel. On yeah, those but things, I did walk we that back a little bit. I did walk back. The Grand Budapest is not my favourite of, of uh, Wes Anderson's films. And to be fair with Wes Anderson, he's just such a... It's very much if you're in the mood or not. If you are not, there's nothing worse than a Wes Anderson film. I'll, I'll just put that out there. Gosling... I, have you watched The Nice Guys? I'm just going to say that. I haven't. I haven't okay. watched that. Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, and it's almost a straight-up comedy. It's buddy cop-style comedy, and it's by oh, Shane Black, who wrote and directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and I think he wrote one of the Iron Man films. But um, it's a very, very funny film, and if you think Ryan Gosling is just a pretty boy, he's he's a very funny man in the right role. So... I would I would suggest that, and then we'll have another chat. But I do I do agree. Otherwise, he's certainly uh, yeah, he's certainly more handsome than um, charismatic in certain roles. But have he's a, you, yeah, have you guy. seen the film Only God Forgives? Uh, no, because, well, actually, no, I have because I really love Drive, which everyone does generally. Yeah. Same director, and I'm not going to try and pronounce his name, but I think he's Danish or Scandi director anyway. And everyone went, right, it's the follow-up to Drive, same actor, going to be great, and it's just an absolute load of shite. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's woeful. It's one of the it's worst It's massively self-indulgent. And then that director, I think he's gone on to make some TV show, which again is like 10 90-minute episodes of absolute dross, and I don't know who funded it, but it just sounds horrendous. So, yeah, I think he's a... If you're talking directors that are like one standout and done, he's one of them because Drive is a fantastic film, but everything since has just been god awful. Really. Yeah, so. I think that's very fair. I think that show is too old to die young. Is that the yes, one he did? I yeah, with, so. with Miles Teller. Yeah, um, and Miles Teller, I quite like. I've come back round, obviously in Whiplash, and then um, I don't know if you saw Top Gun last year, but mm. he's, he's very good in Top Gun. Um, and I think I thought his chance might have gone a little bit because he's, he's known for being a bit of a dickhead on set. Um, and I think he might have won a few people around with Top Gun. So we'll see if he gets another chance, really. But, um, yeah, he's very good at Top Gun and Whiplash. But it, I think that TV show is one to be missed anyway. Yeah, certainly one to forget. I, I totally agree. I thought, I thought Top Gun was absolutely brilliant. I was I was so surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, so was I. Yeah, um, genuinely. It's outstanding. Yeah. We are here today to talk about two TV shows primarily. So the first one is The Bear, which was released on Hulu yes. last year, made by Disney. Um it is the story of a young chef from the world of fine dining who returns to Chicago to take up and run his family's Italian beef, beef sandwich shop after the suicide of his older brother who left behind debts, a rundown kitchen and an unruly staff. 
this was for me one of the real kind of surprising uh, big hits of last season because there wasn't really any hype about it beforehand, but all of a sudden it was all anybody could talk about for months on end. I've just watched it, so you had watched it at the time and have now rewatched it. Yeah, this is this is masterful television. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where I've recommended it to a lot of people since I watched it, and it was my number one of last year. People were hyping it up a bit in the States because I think it was one of those that dropped about three months in the States, probably before it did in the UK and Ireland. There's a, there's a weird thing with Disney Plus where shows don't really have the same release kind of schedule. They, they, they drop a little bit later sometimes. So there was a bit of a buzz about it in the States. And then, like you said, you know, as soon as it dropped in my kind of social, you know, platform you know in the uk and whatnot everyone just kind of went crazy for it some people had streamed it in advance and all that kind of stuff but you know i i watched it in basically one sitting because we were just talking before and it's it's like four hours worth of tv and it is a bit chalk and cheese for some people because it's very anxiety inducing it's one of those shows where i don't know if you've worked in a kitchen or uh, my story is i worked in the Marion hotel as a student in dublin um fancy very fancy hotel in dublin um yes. uh just off marion square a lovely place and i worked um as part of a placement as my uni course because i did like a tourism degree um lived in dublin uh lived near ramla had a great year um worked in this hotel and i was working in the kind of purchasing side of things so i'd essentially you know taken all the food stuff and all the wine and all that kind of stuff um, and they had pretty high end quality and quite high end goods, quite similar to the show. Well, you know, in the, the fine dining side of it, not in the the pork and the beef and the frozen crap that he has to make work in the show. But um, and so I worked quite closely with a kitchen when I was quite young and saw the stress of it. And if the products didn't turn up, they were really amped up and this that, and the other. And they're all hung over and they're all on fag breaks every 10 minutes because it's such a stressful environment. So. As a kind of 19, 20 year old, I kind of got to experience it that way. But this, as far as those kind of dramas go and kitchen dramas go, feels about as true a depiction as, as the situation where everyone is so on edge, is so anxious, but has this kind of camaraderie and this kind of love for each other and respect for each other above all else. And this show does such a good depiction of of showing that over these episodes, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a, but for a lot of people, that kind of anxiety, that level of stress and pressure, just some people can't watch those kind of programs. Whereas I absolutely adore them personally. Just before we go any further, what year would that have been that you worked in the Marion hotel? Uh, Christ. So probably 2006, I think around that era. So, we we missed each other by a couple of years. I used to yeah. work directly across the street from there, there in in the Department of Finance, oh, wow. and we would regularly uh, sojourn to the Marion Hotel and and the bar. It was a nice bar. It was a nice well, bar. Very nice bar. Yeah. It was a very very nice bar. Many of the night was spent there. Couldn't afford a drink in there probably because <laughs> I was on next to no wages. But um, yeah, it's it was a nice it was a nice place. I I did for all the and I know you have a bit of a slag with Dublin. And, and Dublin is, which I don't disagree with. It's, it's a nice city to kind of 
it's a nice accessible wander mm. around you know yeah i used to go out drinking and have you know lock-ins in some of the pubs and and then kind of walk home and never feel that threatened you know it was quite a an interesting time to live in Dublin as a, a relatively young young man, but um, yeah, some good memories from from back in the day, really. Yeah, Dub- Dublin's a nice city. It's a city that is very walkable, and I, I do like to wind. If Dublin, you know where Dublin. to avoid, yes, exactly. You know, it's a good city. You know, Just keep um, your wits about you, and you'll be fine. Yes, um, you are right when you talk about you know. Uh, I really enjoy stuff like in that kind of restaurant sphere like two of my favorite movies of the last 10 years ago are burnt with um bradley cooper which i think is is really really good and chef with john favreau which is one of my favorite movies of all time um i i just i love that film I, i don't know what it is about it but i love it and the cast is phenomenal. Well, he's just gone through his Rolodex, hasn't he? Yes, he's just literally. gone. He's just gone. Right, Robert Downey. You know, I made Iron Man, and we we star in that. And Scarlett Johansson, I've worked with you before, and you know, can you guys do a cameo in this and that? But actually, it's yeah, it's a great feel good kind of film, but it's got a bit of a road trip, which I kind of like in films, you know, across the states. Mm. And um, yeah, it's, it's a great film, and also. To be fair, what he does right in that film, because John Favreau is a, a really accomplished director, is all the cooking scenes just make you salivate, basically. Yes, you know what I mean? Exactly. You just are starving hungry when you watch him making those Cuban sandwiches. Um, and this, this TV show has kind of a similar thing in it where, um, they do spend a lot of time on the clean, you know, the clean shots of the, the cooking scenes and then the food that they make. And, you know, you, you are kind of going, Oh, that looks really good. You know, <laughs> and when they're just like barbecuing outside and making all these sandwiches and it's, it's a really well shot, you know, the, for me, the, the main things about it are the script and the delivery and the performances, but just the way TV shows like this are shot is so fast paced, you know, they're like 30 minutes an episode. But they cram so much so into much each in. episode. It's, I mean, it's like Chef meets meets Gordon Ramsay in Hell's Kitchen or something, yeah. because it's got that frenetic pace. Yeah, it's, it's got, got a this... bit of a kind of Aaron Sorkin esque kind of <clears throat> yes, script exactly. and delivery. Yeah, but you've got this one guy trying to rein in this group of people who have gotten so used to doing things in a specific way, and that way is, as he views it, the wrong way of doing things. And obviously, yes. it is a struggling restaurant. The, they're loaded with debt. They can't get the supplies. He's having to, you know, to rob Peter to play, pay Paul in many ways. And yeah, you know, this causes the cousin, um, Richie, is Richie, the, uh, to yeah, to, yeah. to have you know palpitations like. Well, that's not how we do it. We do it this way. Yeah. And you can tell in the early episodes that Carmine, Carmine is, is trying very hard not to tell him, you and my brother made an absolute mess of this place. Yeah. And that's why I'm here. Yeah. The redemption for, for, for Carmi is, is basically he's trying to hold the restaurant together because he didn't have that relationship with his brother and it's the thing that his brother left behind. So if that falls apart, then he feels like he'll fall apart basically. Um, and it's a really clever show in that way. I, I think I'm third time I've, I've watched it now. Um, and it's one of those things that just kind of seeps into your blood a little bit because 
it's just frenetic. You just, you know, to deliver that kind of dialogue in the way they do, but so naturally. Do you know what I mean? You do feel like you're in a mm. documentary, as you say. You know, you feel like this is this is some kind of fast-paced, a bit like a kitchen nightmares because you know they shout and scream at each other on the Gordon Ramsay stuff. Um, as a film, I will recommend. Um, I don't know if you've seen Boiling Point. That came out maybe last couple of years, and that's a kitchen-based. Um, is that film. Stephen Graham? Yes, Stephen Graham is, is the, the, the central role. And that's all done in one shot. It's like a 90 minute one shot take where it just follows him and, and mainly other characters, but just him around the restaurant and everything is kind of falling apart. So it's got a similar kind of vibe to it. But for me, this is, this is better. Um, because I just think it first, it's got a lot of characters, you know, um, for a show where you've got, you've got him and his cousin are the kind of primaries. You've got all the other chefs working in the kitchen. They've all got different relationships. Um, you've got his sister and the brother-in-law who they just have a really funny line. Um, even when he's, you know, he's passed out because there's some Xanax spilled into the drink at the kids party or whatever. And he, he's like, God, I just want to punch him. You know, look at his face. <laughs> you know? Um, and that was the, the role for me. I mean, there's some, there's some good roles in there, but bringing someone like Oliver Platt who plays his uncle. Yeah. Who's kind of, not sure if he's his real uncle. It's that kind of classic Boston thing or Chicago thing. Um, of being, you know, friend of the family, but loaned them all that money. Um, and Carmi for the whole season trying to work out where all this money went, you know, where did it go? Cause he wasn't paying his vendors. He wasn't paying his bills. Um, and you know, you've got someone like John Bernthal who clearly, you know, he does a lot of work. I mean, that guy does a lot of projects, but just to have such a minor role must have read the script and go, yeah, I mean, I'll yeah. do it. You know what I mean? Cause it's not a, it's not a role where he's got much to play on. It's not a role where he's key in any way. And I thought, well, John Bernthal's a big character. He's the biggest actor. Surely he'll get a big part in it, but he's barely in it. Um, but he's in it enough to kind of make the right kind of impact. But, and it lends credibility to it as well to have yes. his name attached with the, the sort of the run that he's been on yeah. in recent years. And like you said, just how much work he's doing. Sort of, I'd say over the last six, seven years, I wouldn't imagine there's many people that have done as many bits and pieces as him. No, I, as I a don't think and as a, yeah, as a yeah. kind of secondary actor. Well, there aren't many good villains as well in Hollywood at the minute, mm. I would say. And, and he can kind of do both. I know obviously quite famously playing the Punisher, who's a kind of classic anti-hero, but you know, he's kind of bridges the divides of going, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? You can never really trust him because he's kind of that guy. So he works really well in, in those kind of scenes. But I mean, the standout for me, obviously, I mean, everyone's great in this, but, but Jeremy Allen White, who I'd not seen in anything before, apparently he's good in the US shameless and, and, and now he's just kind of inundated in offers and in quite a lot of roles coming up, but he's calm. He's the main character and he just has so much expression on his face you know he the the anxiety attacks and the the situations he goes through you feel every minute of it and everyone said there's a real standout moment in this uh, this show uh, which is his kind of 10 minute dialogue um, in the last episode you know where it's just him talking in the uh, kind of aa meeting mm. and i was like yeah, this show's been incredible. It can't get much better. And, and then this last, this scene happens where he just delivers this incredible kind of speech and you're just floored by it. I mean, actors, not many actors can do that. Not many actors can produce that kind of 
earnestness and realness you know on screen so you just kind of like i said it's just incredibly believable um but the show for all the anxiety and all the pressure and all the grit does have a real kind of dark funny undercurrent you know it's got a kind of black comedy undercurrent going through it um the scene when they have the i think it's episode one where they have that weird tournament where they have the arcade machine and all the freaks go outside and his brother go or his cousin goes outside with a gun and he says you know all you freaks and you you know schneiderverse dickheads and all this you shut the fuck up and you know you'll behave and all that kind of stuff and i'm like oh man and then the music as well i don't know if you appreciate the music in it but it's it's got really good music cues and mm. you know uh they play radiohead in the last episode which just cues it in the last kind of two or three minutes that works really well for me but there's some really good tracks in there and really good kind of knowing when to use music and when to not knowing when to be quiet and when to not i think it's a strange thing to say but tv shows sometimes for a tv show so heavily laden with dialogue and script and and just in your face there are some quite quiet moments and quite clever moments where it just slows the pace a little bit and it lets it breathe at the right times which is which is quite rare sometimes tv shows that are that frenetic it's just all or nothing, but I think That's this show kind of bridges the divide a little bit. There's times where this show tra- threatens to just completely fall off the rails because it's moving at such a pace. Yeah. And I think the directors, Christopher Storer and Joanna Callow, they do a masterful job at just sort of bringing it back, slowing the pace and having these sort of reflective moments Yeah, throughout. And, <clears throat> you know, they, you can you can make parallels with with this and and obviously a family you know because th- there is the family element to this where his sister's involved his cousins involved his brother's obviously the, the former owner yeah. his uncle has come along and there's all these different personalities and different people wanting different things and and having their own little worlds within a bigger world where yeah. they all want their own thing and they all need their own space but it's a very cramped kitchen. They're all on top of each other and they're all trying to establish themselves and, and make sure that their voices are heard. And it is like, it is, it's just, it's brilliantly made. It's brilliantly acted. Even like all the, the, the secondary actors that are in it, like uh, Tina, like that is oh, amazing. Lisa yeah. Colon Zahas. That's a phenomenal performance. Even down to the smallest little things. Like you use my pot. Where's my knife? You used my pot. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where his knife is because the fact of the matter is he's used her pot. (laughs) She didn't give permission for this because that's how she does things in the same way that like when, when he has to get the, when he can't get the full meat order. So he's trying to stretch the meat over a longer period of time. And he's saying, well, we'll just shorten the bread. And the cousin's like, no, the bread stays the same. And he's shouting at the rest of them. The bread will stay the same. As yeah. if he's the one having to make this decision because he's there to represent Michael, whereas Carmi is there to try and enforce change, even though what Carmi's trying to do is save Michael's legacy. And they're all working towards the same goal and they all want the same thing. Yeah. It's just that they've got very conflicting ways of doing it. And I compared it to, to, to Ramsey earlier. And if you think of, like Ramsey, when he does the, the kitchen nightmares or anything like that, when he goes into a restaurant, that's a mess. And he's trying to 
you know, to put real standards in place as a real chef walking in amongst a bunch of sort of amateur chefs. Yes. This is very much that where Carmi is trying to set standards in the restaurants. He needs the knife sharper. He needs this done that way. He calls people chef as a mark of respect because he thinks if they all respect each other, they'll respect themselves. And if they show, if he shows them respect, they'll show him respect. And then the kitchen will work much better. But he gets all this pushback on small things that he's trying to do and he's yeah. mocked for it. But he's got, he's got logic and reason behind himself, even though he doesn't, he doesn't have that forceful personality to really ram at home. No, I, having worked a little bit with kitchens and, and head chefs and stuff, you know, worked in hotels a little bit. He, he, he isn't that presence you would have normally from a head chef. You know, he's, he's a little bit more quietly spoken until he's not. Um, and, and because he's lived in that world, those flashbacks to when he was working in the high end kitchens and, you know, the pressure he was under, um, and that tension it put into him and, you know, anxiety that, you know, he was living under day in, day out. He says at one point to sugar his sister that he was throwing up every day before he went into work, you know, um, that kind of thing. So you see that pressure and you see it building up in him. And I think that's the clever thing with it. I don't know if you've seen a film called Uncut Gems, Sandler film a couple of years ago. Yes, I did actually. Yeah. So that's the most anxiety inducing film. I can remember basically because it's just one long anxiety attack <laughs> waiting to happen where there's the stakes are raised and raised and raised until things go pop. Mm. Um, this kind of, like we said before, has that element of the anxiety is there, the pressure's there, but it does very clever ways to, to walk them back. And what it does is, is like you say, use those other characters. It uses those interactions in the kitchen. You know, the conversations are going on all around you when you're watching this show you know there's people talking in the background there's people talking in the foreground i don't think i ever really got all the conversations all the things that happened until i've watched it a couple more times to be fair but you know there's there's a character in there um i think the guy that sweeps the floor and there's one point where he mentions he, he played for the cubs once and he didn't make it because of an injury or something like that and they're just having these big conversations and the guy kind of walks back and goes Wait, did he just say play for the Cubs? You know, because they don't know that about each other. You know, mm. there's so much going on that their personal lives are never often brought into it. Um, there's a scene where they get the, uh, the hygiene rating, which is quite comical because it's, it's all going off. Um, and they, uh, you know, she gives them a C and downgrades the, the, you know, the standard and it's a big deal and they're all effing and blinding and arguing. And then, um, the cousin goes off, uh, with the chef and I can't remember her name to go to the hardware store to get the right thing to patch the wall or whatever they need to do. And at that point, the cousin has a conversation with his daughter who's you know scared about going to a new school. And there's just these elements where it introduces the personal lives of these individuals into mm. it. And it's really subtly and cleverly done, but then it kind of changes the perspective of, you know, it's the same with, um, when Tina brings her son who's been expelled to school to the kitchen and, she wants all this to go on and support from there. Um, and, you know, every character's got a part to play and every character's got a voice at one point or another. And that's how well scripted it is because they're all vital in that kitchen. Everyone in there. Um, the comedy relief is the, the guy who comes and fixes things every now and again. 
And yes. Matty Matheson. And then him and the cousin have a big fight at one point after the toilet breaks and then the lights go out, the fuse gets blown and they cook outside. All this stuff's going on. And it's constantly moving. It's constantly evolving. And you're just kind of struggling to keep up a little bit. Um, but the story is quite easy to follow. There's nothing too complicated. It's, it's about human emotion. It's about, you know, ultimately getting to that final goal. And I think, there is going to be a season two, which I am very much looking forward to. But mm. if it was just a standalone season, I would have been equally happy because it does a clever way of resolving everything in a kind of nice, neat bow. There's the huge moments of eruption um, when they get to the point of uh, going to do takeaway service, essentially, and something goes wrong and all these orders are coming through and they're all just these full-blown arguments, all the heat in the kitchen where two of them end up walking walking out because um, the guy, the pastry chef, is obsessed with getting his donuts right and he's not concentrating on his job and everyone else and the cousin gets stabbed in the ass and all this kind of stuff's heading off and you're just at this point going oh my god what else is going to happen is someone going to knife someone do you know what I mean? it, to that point you just think is something crazy going to happen to that degree and then it kind of all explodes and then and then it settles down again mm. you know and then you head into that last episode and the kind of ultimate resolution um, with the, the the money, which uh, which is really subtle, because that note, which is for the recipe, which they never follow that recipe because they're using the big tins of chopped tomatoes or whatever until that point. And that recipe is is a note that the cousin found, you know, the start of the season, which you yeah. can you miss it, and then decides not to give it to Carmi. You know, he, he holds it back as a kind of well, you don't deserve this suicide note. You don't deserve, you know, it's, it's my relationship with your brother. You know, yeah. it's, it's not, you didn't have that relationship. You ran off to the kitchen and he only ran off to work in those kitchens to prove his brother wrong, you know, because he wanted to work with his brother deep down. Um, and his brother said, no, you're too good for that. So they have this kind of love hate relationship. Um, but ultimately when he's at his lowest point and the cousin gives him this note and it's kind of ultimately the, nice redemptive arc and you know um it's a really kind of fitting ending to a, a what is a, a fantastic season of, of television really yeah I, I fully agree and like there's nice little bit of symmetry with the fact that ebon moss backrack who plays the cousin is probably best known for his role in the punisher alongside john bernthal mm. of course john bernthal is michael in this and it's very much that dynamic of best friend versus little brother in, yeah. in competing for the, the, the friend or brother's adoration or whatever, competing for his attention. You can tell that both Carmine and Richie both looked up to Michael and, and viewed him as kind of the alpha in the relationships. Yeah. And now it's that kind of battle of, well, I'm his brother, yeah, but I'm his best friend, and I was here when you weren't, yeah, yeah but I'm his brother. And now I am here because I'm here because he needed me to be here. So it is it is very, very good, and I'm glad you mentioned Oliver Platt earlier. I'm a, I'm a big fan of his work. Yeah. I, think, I think he's excellent. He's uh, he's currently doing Chicago Med, which is a show I enjoy. Um, you also mentioned the health inspector that's played by Amy, Mor- Amy Morton, Mm. who is Trudy Platt in Chicago PD. 
And uh, I, I like I like shows set in Chicago. I don't know what it is. I always have. Yeah. Do you do you think there's something of a, a parallel? I mean, the the US set shows that aren't just New York. You know, your Boston's and Chicago's are always fascinating to me. Mm. Chicago's got that kind of deep history with all the kind of gangster kind of shows and all the family kind of you know that goes into that. And this does have an element of that. Do you know what I mean? Because the, the cousins dealing out the back of the shop. And you just, you've got this sense of you don't know what the brother was up to. Was he using exactly. the shop as a, do you know what I mean? As, as a, as a laundry tactic, laundering money kind of tactic. Was it something else? Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of got that clever feel of you don't know if there's something more suspicious to it than it is just a family run restaurant, essentially. Um, but the more flashbacks it gives you, you know, the more you like, well, it's just a dysfunctional family. Do you know what I mean? It's just your classic kind of American dysfunctional family, two brothers fighting, but they always cook with their, their mom and there's, there's comments back to that and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, we've got to mention it really because, um, you know, Sydney is the kind of interesting character in it. I've never seen the actress in anything before. Personally, I don't think she's done a lot before. I think this is, is a kind of breakthrough. Um, role. She's done some voice work and things, but largely this is probably the biggest role today. And she comes in at the same time as he does into the kitchen as a complete new entity. And it's got that clever feel where he promotes her above everyone else because he can see her potential. Yeah. But he's still giving her that kind of, you know, I worked in a high end restaurant. I'm going to kind of give you that same treatment that, you know, my head chef gave me when I went into a high-end restaurant. Do you know what I mean? That kind of cold shoulder. Um, the, the big thing with them and the fallout is that she wants to expand. She's got real ambitions. She do, does in this 28-page dossier about this is a way we can save money. This is what we can do. You know, this is how we can develop. And in a kind of interesting turn of fate, she's obsessed with making new dishes and, and developing, the, you know, the restaurant and what they can offer makes this incredible looking risotto with braised beef or something, which just looks incredible and, and gives it to a critic because Kami rejected it. Essentially. He said it was good, but it wasn't ready. You're not ready kind of thing. Um, yeah. The big write up comes in incredible review. And the standout is this risotto dish, which isn't on the menu and it kind of just leads and spirals. Um, and it's a really clever sequence where, you know, she's important to the kitchen. You know, she's important to how things are going to go, but, you know, she's impatient. You know, he said he, he did his checks on her and all the other places you've worked for say you're excellent, you're brilliant, you can do this, that, and the other, but you're impatient. You've got to sit tight, you've got to wait. Um, and he's not trying to be critical. He's just trying to give advice, but not, and he doesn't know how to because he's worked in these restaurants where, you know, high end restaurants are extremely stressful and extremely difficult environments and notoriously run by people that have massive power complexes. So, it's a really kind of interesting storyline that bubbles under while Kami's is going on top. So it, it really cleverly plays out. Yeah. And I think because they obviously show the scenes with Kami when he's in the restaurant and he's working under Joel McHale's character yeah. and they show the way he was treated and how McHale was condescending and abusive to him and dismissive of, of his abilities and, you know, despite the fact that we know that Carmi is an award-winning chef in that role, uh, Mikhail treats him like he's the very bottom of the barrel. And yes. you, you sort of get the feeling that Carmi doesn't want to doesn't want to treat Sydney that way, but no. wants her to know that this is how you will be treated. 
because I think he sees a lot of himself in her. Yeah. I think he clearly sees the talent and he knows that she's capable of so much more than working in a, in a beef sandwich shop and that she will eventually go into restaurants and he wants her to be prepared for, you're going to go into these places and you are going to be treated like something that someone dragged in on the sole of their shoe. Yeah. So I can't, even though you can tell that at, at the heart of it, he's a really good guy. He has to take a harder line with her because he sees her being able to go and do something more. He says, with- he says that at one point he says, he says, I, I treat you in higher regard than everyone else. I, I, you know, you, you basically, um, I hold you in, you know, I don't, I expect more from you. I think mm. that, you know, because he, he does expect more from her. He can see the potential, as you say. Whereas the rest of them are kind of maximizing what they can offer. Yeah. You know, they, they've, they've worked in a kind of rundown, you know, kitchen where they've just got by and produced pretty average food. And, and they are, you know, once they become a team, you know, maximizing their ability, but they've been there for years. They're not going to change. Whereas no. she's extremely young. She's got a bright future ahead of her. And like you said, it's it's a kind of great sequence when, you know, in the final episode, it's it's the pastry chef and and her just sitting around her kitchen in her house, you know, just actually having a moment to breathe. You know, it's it's the clever things of this TV show because it does take time away from the restaurant when it needs to, just to yes. let it breathe a little bit. You know, the scene when, you know, um, at the party, which we mentioned before, the kids party and they just paying off the debts, you know, as they can do because they owe him like 300 grand. Um, but ultimately I think he wants to have them around. You know, he does have that uncle mentality that he wants to support the family. Um, but you know, the resolution when she comes in at the end, despite having this, her and, and Richie have this horrendous relationship with each other and just scream in each other's face and think it's going to get violent. Um, because she's the new one stepping on his toes more than the, you know, more than Carmi really. Um, cause that's what his role he thought would be in the kitchen is to kind of be second in command and she's coming and taken over that. Um, but the sequence at the end when, you know, he says, you know, stop dicking around, stop fucking around, um, get a tin opener and help us. Do you know what I mean? That's what Richie says to her at the end. Mm. And it just kind of has that nice moment. And then they, they talk through after finding that money, um, how they would have a restaurant, you know, between them. You know, they, they mentioned they'd have, you know, it's very technical. She says like some Scandinavian design and, and this, that. And then they set up a window on the side for the sandwiches, you know, so it's a really nice, fitting resolution that you know ultimately despite all the stress and the anguish and everything else they they you know they have a wiser a happy ending and, and very much deserved and then they sit around the table and all eat together and you know it kind of harks back to all the family stuff when they used to do that when they were growing up so it's it's a very intense show and i am really excited for what comes next but i think as a just as a single season of tv there's there's not been much better for me in recent years so yeah, and this, the second season here is, is, is a risk because, yes. um, it, it could go, it could go wrong. It's going to be very hard to recapture that sort of, that rawness and that realness that they got in the first season. They could. I would think with the scriptwriters and the direction though, I think they would only do it knowing they've got a story to tell. I would hope. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be the hope. That would be the yeah. hope is that they know, 
where this story is going. And, you know, it might be that they have it plotted out over three or four seasons. Yeah. So that they don't rush any kind of big reveals or try and un- unwrap any of the, the layers or, you know, too quickly. Um, but I yeah. Think some of the best TV shows in recent times know, they know what they've got in terms of, you know, they, they won't overstretch it or overstay their welcome. You know, there's a lot of good TV shows where, you know, Severance was a, a really high quality TV show last year. Season two, I think, is dropping this year or next. And I think they've already got mapped out what they want to tell, but it's not going to spiral into four, five, six seasons of mm. we'll make it up as we go along. Because as much as I love things like, you know, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, Better Call Saul, they were literally inventing it as they went. I mean, extremely well and extremely cleverly, but they developed characters that they didn't think were that important and then became more important and then fleshed out the story on top of that. Something like this, because it's so condensed in terms of the episodes and the script and they've got to have a very clear vision of what they want to, what they want to yeah, make. And, and I hope this they do. is more of a story driven show. Yes. Whereas better call Saul is, is a character driven show. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is getting a second season. You mentioned Boiling Point earlier. It's going mm. to get a TV season as well. Yeah, I did see that. With the BBC. Yeah. So, uh, Graham, Stephen Graham, Vanette Robinson, um, and Hannah Walters, they've all signed on to do. Gra- it. Graham's fairly gold dust for things, isn't he? He doesn't pick a bad project, Stephen doesn't, Graham, to be doesn't. fair. He's, he's a very solid actor. Yeah, he's, he's very, very reliable and, Again, kind of, he's in a way, he's like the English John Bernthal in that he's a mm. brilliant villain. Yeah, he's immensely hardworking. You look at the amount of stuff that guy does. Yeah, and the the sheer the the, the bandwidth that he has from what he can do, like characters from Combo in This Is England. Yeah, to when he did um, Tony Pro in the The Irishman, mm. like. He and anything in between, like Boardwalk, he goes from doing This Is England '86 into Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, they're the shows he's doing. Playing Al Capone and a, a British scumbag. At I, the same I think time. if Scorsese pays attention to you, you, you know, yeah, you, you've got it. Do you know what I mean? There, there's certain, you know, uh, and I'd say that I, I know Burnsall's been around a long time, but you know, the, the roles in um, Wolf of Wall Street, which Burnsall is is great in, and and Jonah Hill, who I I've got a soft spot for. Mm. Um, Jonah Hill did that film for free and then got nominated for an Oscar. I think that was after Moneyball. I think it was after Moneyball, which he's also very good in. Um, but, you know, there's certain directors that have just got a certain eye for actors you might not think would fit a certain role, but just do. Um, Burnthorpe's great in Wolf of Wall Street, just rocking an incredible tash and just, just really physically plays a drug dealer extremely well. Have, have you, you know. seen You People? Uh, the huge no. Hill film. It's it's very different, but it's it's actually really good. Yeah, he's an interesting guy, Jonah Hill. I I, I, I always adored Superbad. It was my kind of favorite comedy uh, of that era. Mm. Um, and then kind of followed his career, and obviously then suddenly started you know playing quite high end roles in Moneyball and getting Oscar noms and things like that. Um, and then directed a really good kind of ninety set uh, skateboarding film you know skateboarding drama it's a drama essentially it's a heavy drama really heavy in drama really good soundtrack um from a few years ago and then mid 90s yeah mid 90s really good watch um and then he directed a a really interesting thing on netflix which is a documentary with his psychiatrist 
He was a really interesting guy. I thought, okay, I'm going to watch this. It's called Stutz or something, because I think that's what the, the psychiatrist is called. Yeah. I'd, I'd recommend that. It's, it's about an hour and 20 minutes, but it's it's a really interesting documentary. And Jonah Hill's just got something that surprises me, because, you know, he, he was in that classic Seth Rogen group of kind of comedians, kind of funny actors, you know. And then stepped apart from it to do serious roles and start directing. And I think he's, he's got more than everyone thought he did have as a, as a personality. So yeah, interesting, interesting guy, but there's some good stuff out there. Uh, but I will, I will check out that film and yeah, it's, it sounded like a Netflix special, but there's some good people in it. So yeah, that's like, it is like you have to yeah. take it for what it is. It's a Netflix film. It's made on, you know, a relative budget and yeah, yeah. it's. It's, I just, I think it's good. I think it, it's, especially in, in where we live today with, with everybody being so ready to be insulted and offended by something. Oh my God. Yes. I, I think it fits really well into the landscape. Yeah. Those kind of people wouldn't fit well in the bear. <laughs> no. Because not. they all just slag each other off to high heaven. But yeah, go on. Was, yeah, I've interrupted your great segue. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of somebody who insults and offends most people, uh, Jeremy Clarkson. Now mm. we should point out that we do not, uh, support Jeremy Clarkson's views on, um, Meghan Markle or, <laughs> or anything no. like that. No. However, his TV show, Clarkson's Farm, honestly is one of the best things to come along in a very long time. Yeah. It is absolute genius. So season two has just dropped. It is fantastic. It is a long time in the making. It was meant to come out last summer and got delayed for different reasons. Yeah. Let's start with season one, Rory. Going into this, what kind of expectation? Did you have any expectation? Did you think it'd just be Clarkson blowing up tractors? Essentially, yeah, to be honest, because that's what you're used to with him, you know. Mm. Um, And there's an element where I I think, especially in the first season, they've definitely done a few set pieces where they go, this is what Clarkson audience is like. Do you know what I mean? Let's do things where put put Jeremy in a kind of awkward situation where he's going to, He's going to do something stupid or he's going to blow something up or he's going to, you know, crash his tractor into X, Y, and Z. And, and so the first season felt a little bit like, all right, it's going to be one of those. But what they did and what is genius about this show is that they surrounded Clarkson or, well, he did because he employed these people or, you know, worked closely with them with some of the best kind of incredibly funny characters, whether it's intentional or not. Um, and just kind of really made it a really grounded and interesting show. And actually, on top of that, you know, I saw a tweet uh, recently saying that, you know, Clarkson's Farm has done more for the education of the British public or, you know, global public about how farming practices work in, in you know, in the UK than, you know, Country Farm has done for 30 years. And, you know, having, uh, you know, I grew up in Lincolnshire, pretty rural Lincolnshire for most of my life. I've worked, lived in a few different places, but uh, largely, you know, in and around Lincolnshire, which is proper flat, proper farming country, very much used to combines and tractors and less livestock because it's more good for growing crops kind of around there because it's so flat. But, you know, I grew up around that and I was very much used to all that. But even I didn't know half the stuff that goes on. Do you know what I mean? All the red mm. tape, all the bullshit, all the stuff like that. So 
from an educational standpoint, it's it's incredible. From a just a visual standpoint, this is where to me, having watched season two quite recently, and, and season one I'm sure was the same, where drones and you know good camera work and all this stuff has just changed the landscape of just basic programs nowadays. Yes. If this program was out in the nineties, in, in Ireland or in, in, in England on BBC, on Channel 4, on RTE, whatever it would be, um, it would be some kind of low res, low shot, look like shit. Do you know what I mean? Nineties, noughties, even probably 10 years ago, it would just look terrible. Whereas these landscapes, these beautiful farmlands, open rolling hills, all this kind of stuff, with all these drone shots and these sunsets and then the pictures of the hares and the barn owls and all. It's like crisis is like some incredible, Thing you would have watched Attenborough do 10, 15 years ago, you know. So that's the it, thing, and Attenborough it's amazing. Needed, like the the nighttime shots of the badgers. Yeah, that's something that if that Attenborough would have done ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would have been like it would have taken an amazing amount of work for them to get. And now it's the a shot. camera trap. Do you know it's what I mean? Now it's a good it's camera so trap. Easy. Yeah, yeah. The world's but changed, you know. It has, and, yeah, and it's yeah. changed in some ways for the better, and in some ways for the worse, and. One person who refuses to change and embrace anything modern is Caleb <laughs> Cooper. Oh, what a man. Without question, the star of this show. Yes, uh, undoubtedly. I, I would, and we will talk about him, but Gerald runs a close second because <laughs> um, that mullet is just incredible. Um, but um, Caleb is, you know, by all accounts, especially when we rock into season two, he's a celebrity now. You yeah. know, we, he, he's, he's a celebrity locally. But some of the things he comes out with are quite Carl Pilkington esque because yes. he's got he's got no understanding of like the wider world. He's he's grown up in this really introverted um you know farming system and he's quite a young guy actually. He's much younger than you think because he's probably only in his early twenties and he's got no knowledge of the way the world works. Never been on a train, he says in season two, which I found hilarious. Just imagine not going on a train at any point in your life. Um and then at one point in season two, he says that his son, who's born in Oxford, is, is a foreigner, foreigner. <laughs> which is genius. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Because Oxford's like 10 miles up the road. It's not, it's not like it's a different county. It's just 10 miles up the road. Um, but he, the best thing about Caleb, it's something they've kind of created a Top Gun dynamic where, you know, they call, you know, the, the two on top, Top Gear used to call him, you know, Call him a pillock, call him a dickhead, call him whatever they used to do and slag him off because he's Jeremy Clarkson and they have that great dynamic. Caleb is that, but tenfold. You know, he calls Jeremy out on absolutely everything. Mm. He slags him off on everything because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's useless at this. He's useless at that. And he literally just scolds him all the time. And they have such a kind of, it's almost a kind of father-son bond. And it really does come out well on screen you know it's 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 a really great dynamic a really great relationship and i think at some point when they were filming season one they went this is the hook do you know what i mean this yeah. is the guy you know they probably because I, I can't remember season one as, as as well but i would imagine there's some clicking point where they went or even if it was pre-production and pre you know early days they went yeah this guy's the key here this is what's going to make this a real great show is this relationship is caleb's complete and utter disregard for you know jeremy's status uh, yeah. essentially because he doesn't um, know or care no doesn't jeremy Clarkson is this world-renowned tv presenter who's been on all over the world and met famous people and done all these different things he yeah. doesn't care because 
at the end of the day, as far as Caleb sees it, this is where, number one, where he's from. Yes. And number two, this is his area of expertise. Exactly. Clarkson might be 40 years older than him, but he has a lifetime of experience in this field. Yeah. And Clarkson has none. So while Caleb is so much younger, he's so much more knowledgeable. So they actually reverse roles. And it's almost like Caleb becomes the dad teaching this stupid young boy (laughs) how to be a farmer. And like, even with Clarkson, you, you can tell he's properly thrown himself into this and he wants this to work. And look, bottom line is that if that farm never makes a penny, Jeremy Clarkson is going to be financially fine. Yes. But he wants to make it work because he, I, I think he wants to push for and represent British farmers because he constantly wants to bring the conversation around to not just his farm, no, but no. other farms. And we see that in the second season when he gets a lot of the local farms together and he has them hi- highlight all the different areas where they're struggling and why they're struggling. So he's using his platform really, really well to make yeah, of, of what's going on. I think what, what people don't realise with Clarkson is I think a lot of the public persona is a front, basically. I, he's, he's renowned for being a dickhead. Do you know what I mean? He, he got kicked off Top Gear for assaulting a producer. There's various things going on in his career. He's written some awful things over the years and is a certain type of individual. Mm. But there is a genuine compassion for all the people around him in this and a genuine compassion for farming um, and for animals and animal, you know, welfare. But general speaking, do you know what I mean? There's seasons in the first season where, you know, he's, he's planting certain seeds to, you know, wildflowering and all that kind of stuff, which is kind of dying out, you know, um, strange thing to say, but I, I obviously, as I said, grow up in a pretty rural place where, you drive 10 miles in Lincolnshire, you, your windscreen in the summer is going to be covered in insects and bugs and everything else. And, and there's just not that much of that anymore. Do you know what I mean? All that kind of wildflower, all that kind of hedgerows and the wild stuff, it's kind of slowly but surely made way. And, and actually, in the first season, you think, yeah, he, he kind of cares about this stuff. But there is a, a certain point, I mean, it, it does mention it in season, at the end of season one in particular, that was this just an experiment? Does he want to do this for real or does he want to go back to doing all the driving and all the, the kind of crazy stuff with the, the two lads? Um, I think he, he falls in love with it himself. And I mm. don't think he expected to. I, he'd owned that farm and lived on it for quite a long period of time, but someone did all the work. Um, and what Prime had done with his contract, the same with Hammond and the same with James May, is probably pitched ideas at them. Thing. Yeah. So James May did a bit of travel stuff in Japan and, and yeah, a bit of cooking shows. Yeah, it is. It is because James May's a, a brilliant, a brilliant presenter, a very likable guy. Um, the Hammond stuff, not so much, not really worked. But I think what they did, they probably pitched ideas towards them and Clarkson. They probably pitched in this idea of following around, doing a kind of documentary style, you know, on the farm, a bit of fun, a bit of this. But you can see, especially since he kind of got the livestock and got the sheep, and particularly the cows in the second season, his genuine kind of love for farming. Yeah. And, and it does grow as it goes on. Um, and it's encouraged by those around him, you know, and it's, it's, it's quite a remarkable turnaround. I think people watching season two in particular will probably have quite a different opinion of Clarkson in terms of at least, you know, 
his compassion for other people and and that like you mentioned that the farmers because he'll always be fine but he does care about those you know that poor lady who produces the kind of milk and the milkshakes for their farm shop who lost 60 cattle to tv and you know the the pig farmers who are their neighbors who have got too much livestock but they can't afford to send them to the slaughterhouse because it's too much money because it's cheaper to import the the meat from you know every deal that's been signed post brexit you know all the cheap meat that comes in from australia and various other places so it's a really interesting look at you know clarkson evolution as a person as a farmer but but and obviously all the comedy and the great characters that are in there that we can talk about but general the the red tape and the issues that are face farming in britain since brexit you know they've lost the eu funding money they're told to diversify but every time they try they're red taped with x y and z you know not many people can afford to pay 80 grand to set up a farm shop or 200 grand to do this or that you know people's livelihoods are at risk and you know it's it's a really interesting look at the problems that go on in a lot of rural England and I would imagine that's, potentially rural Ireland as well. But I oh, don't, 100%. Yeah. And that's the yeah. thing, like, you mentioned the red tape and obviously he goes head to head with the council over a few things. Like, they're being told to diversify. He thinks, okay, I'll set up a restaurant and in doing yeah. this, I'll take my produce from all these other local farmers. Now we're all diversified into one area. Everybody's winning with this and the council say no. And it obviously it becomes, I think, my my view of it, it becomes mm. a personal vendetta oh, absolutely. By, by the council against yeah. him because they have that view of him that you mentioned where he's this this clown, this yeah. loud dickhead off the TV who says and does outrageous things, whereas he, he's trying, he's actually trying to use that notoriety for the betterment of his neighbours and his fellow farmers and the farming community as a whole. So yeah, this was, I, this was pre the comments on Meghan Markle as yes, well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, you know. that's going to be interesting to see how, what there's been some rumors that after season three and the next run of the grand tour that he's done yeah. with Amazon, but we'll see. I mean, like you said, I did read today. This is the most popular TV show streamed in the UK uh, above Lord of the Rings, uh, 4.3 so, million. Uh, and that's not including like mobile and, and iPads and stuff. Just TV yeah. At the end of the day, they're not, they're not going to let a cash cow go out the door. And no. like James May has been renewed for a third season. He's going to do our man in India next. Yeah. Um, which should be excellent. Japan is brilliant. It's Italy a brilliant show. Tremendous. Yeah. India will be the same. <laughs> on a side note, poor old Hammond. Like, <laughs> just not word show. for him. He's just not a standalone guy, is he? No, he just like, hasn't he got it. He's a great escapist. It's dreadful. Oh, um, I watched one episode. Though. I, I yeah. do really like Richard Hammond's workshop, but it's on Discovery. Yeah. Which is weird that they didn't take it because it has a similar type of dynamic to Hammond, to, to Clarkson and Caleb, he where. Just, he just doesn't have the personality that no, I don't think. He's, he's, he's just a, a supporting bit, guy, isn't he? Yes, he is. And he works well in that capacity. Um, he's the kind of good, yeah, they, they poke fun at him. Do you know mm, what I mean? He's a straight man. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know? Yeah, it, it does work. I mean, that dynamic was always great on Top Gear, no matter what you think. You know, they, they were a great dynamic, extremely popular. I didn't realize Clarkson had such a chunky share in Top Gear. I think he's got a 30% share. So he makes an absolute killing off that, no matter what. Because it globally, obviously, franchised and everything else. Yeah. So, obviously, he's set for life. But he's right in the sense that he's saying that, 
the farm needs to make a profit. Do you know what I mean? He employs people. It would have mm. employed a lot more people. I mean, ultimately he opens a restaurant, but they shut it down about four weeks later, I think, in, in, in reality of what's gone on. And there's a lot since. But, you know, um, he, he, you know, employing people for the local community, uh, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's an important thing, you know. Um, even, even like the local builder. Yeah. Like he's getting good work out of Clarkson. And then obviously there's, there's Charlie as the yeah the agent. Charlie's a brilliant brilliant Charlie's character. brilliant like yeah. he, he's brilliant he's like my favorite part is when they're setting up the restaurant yes and he's going around telling everybody about like his one little victory bringing a bit of wheat German yeah he's just is and Clarkson is telling others this is what he's telling them and there's Charlie <laughs> telling them it's brilliant but you mentioned Gerald earlier on oh this, my god this is. <laughs> unintentionally one of the best characters ever because this is just him being him this is a 70 odd year old man yeah with the deepest west country accent yes you could ever imagine you pick up maybe every second word and the best part is like caleb has known him his entire life caleb doesn't understand it no not a clue i mean and- it's 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 just genius. It's basically so. If you've seen Hot Fuzz, yes, um, the Simon Pegg film, uh, Edgar Wright directed. So Hot Fuzz is one of my favourite films, really, hands down. It's just such a brilliant comedy, but it's it's got some great action sequences and throwback to great action films, and it's got that kind of horror undercut undercurrent in it. But there's a sequence which is brilliant where they go off um, to to a local farm. Farmer's there with his shotgun, and there's a big argument about someone's been clipping their hedgerows or whatever some you know meaningless argument and and they're like why, well why are you bringing the dog along it's like well it's not the dog we need it's 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 the handler and the handler is a, a strong west country accent and <laughs> you've got the the farmer speaking then you've got the the dog handler the the policeman um police officer translating and then you've got nick frost doing his best kind of received pronunciation to translate again to Simon Pegg's character. And it just gets me every time. It's such a genius scene. And it is essentially Gerald. It's the, the farmer is Gerald or the policeman that you can't understand either. And you need someone to translate to you. But the genius of this show is that Clarkson doesn't have a clue what he's saying. And they know that. And I think he's old enough and wise enough, Gerald, to been around and gone, I don't give a shit if they're poking fun at me. It's all just good laugh and I'm getting paid for it probably. And that's fine by me. Um, but the scenes where <laughs> Jeremy is on, like, especially if they're on some kind of, um, speaker system, you know, on the, uh, the cons when they're doing the Gerald's in the harvester or whatever, it's even harder to understand the word he's saying. And there's just Clarkson just going, yeah. Okay. And when he's finished talking and doing one of his little analogies or weird stories, he just kind of goes, mm, sure, Gerald, thanks. And he doesn't have a clue what he's saying. No. No <laughs> one time he knew his emotion. Yeah, when, it, when he cut his hedges. Do you see where he cut his hedgerows? And then he got, <laughs> he got quite angry. Gerald was saying, you've done a really shit job of this, and he's done this and done that. And Clarkson's like, I know he's mad at me, but I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> you know, it's just brilliant. It, it's so yeah. good. It is so good. And and the yeah. show itself is so good. And It is. Like, the more of it, the better. I I really, really hope we get to see plenty more of it because it's I think it is incredibly type... well watchable as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's you know, it. It's, it's such it, an easy know. watch. And you mentioned Chef earlier, and there's certain films and certain TV shows that you know because 
reality shows often have, you know, documentary reality kind of shows that they're sometimes really hollow, but actually this does have a, a good amount of depth to it. And you do care about all the characters. Um, his wife, I'm not sure where in Ireland she's from, got a great accent, actually. She's she's a really likable character and they used her a little bit more in season two. Mm. She's running the farm shop and doesn't care. There's that great scene where they're not allowed to sell T-shirts and mugs and, and hats. And she gives sells a Brussels sprout for twenty quid and gives away a free T-shirt, which That's is just a brilliant so, loophole. So funny. Yeah, yeah, and they do things like that all the time. There's some really great moments in it. It's it's a really well put together show, um, but it does highlight some really important things. But as I said as well, it's just a beautiful looking thing. You know, the the great shots over the landscape and the the brilliant kind of sunsets and the different seasons you go through and. It's it is and it shows the brutal reality of farming, you know. Yeah. It shows that it's a tough old existence, you know. But they just keep coming up with these great characters. The the one I wanted to highlight as well in season two is the the neighbours that bring the, the chickens, these high tech chicken yes. coops. And the woman, the, the 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 wife, is just filthy. She's making some incredible cock jokes, you know. She said, You can eat these, you know, you can eat cock and it's just a, she's just delivers these deadpan punchlines and she's absolutely genius. Um, so they do have a great way of, of introducing these really good characters, you know, some really funny moments and it's, it's a really well put together show. It's, and it, it's really endearing, you know, it doesn't hold back. I mean, you know, it shows the lambing sequences and, and obviously the cows giving birth in season two and, some quite hard hitting stuff that I think people will never have seen if they're not grown up around any of that kind of stuff, you know, and, and the harsh reality of where you get your food from and getting attached to animals and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's good. It's a really well produced, really good quality show. And, uh, you know, people need to kind of, I think, put aside their bias a little bit and hopefully, you know, keep watching, which they clearly are anyway. So it's gone and going down the tree. Yeah, 100% agreed. And, and the more of it you get, the better. And the more of, the more funny stuff on TV, the better, I think. And that brings us, Rory, over the hour mark. So yes. we will call it a day here. Rory is going to be on as often as his schedule will allow. Um, we're going to have Rory, Trev, our good friend Stu will be on and mm-hmm. a couple of others and we'll just rotate through and, uh, whatever comes up, comes up and we'll, we'll most likely be back. Um, in a week or so with another episode. Not sure who'll be on that one. Maybe, maybe Mr. Britson will grace us with his few, with his presence and he can tell me all about the great comic book stuff that, he's, uh, he, he's, he's ever positive about comic oh, books. Oh, unbelievable. Stuff, you, be, you, you people know. have no idea. We, we have a WhatsApp group and there's myself, Rory, Stu and a few others. A guy is one. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter <laughs> what the reviews are. If it's comic book based, Stu will it's go a four to star, more four star, more. five star masterpiece. Yeah, he's, he's, and I love that about him. We used to do podcasts on, on this, you know, on AI and he's, he's, for such a guy as miserable in life as he is, he's got a real <laughs> love for, for comic book movies and, and a credible knowledge. Him and, and oh, yeah. a couple of others, just amazing knowledge, man. Like he knows everything. It's, it's, it's an absolute diamond, but by God, when he is grumpy. <laughs> He is the grumpiest man. Liverpool are not helping him this season. Let's no, put it that not. way. His home season ticket is killing him, I think. So, yeah. Yes. yeah. Right, Rory. Thank you so Pleasure, much for your time. We will have you back anytime you would like. Uh, the sooner the better. Appreciate it. Say. Take care. Thank you for Thanks, listening, buddy. folks. See you next time. Bye bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.